Tennessee mothers discuss raising their LGBT children in a state that supposedly is filled with hate. This is the Focus Group. It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller. 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 Laugh. <laughs> and learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is the Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not. Welcome to the Focus Group. John Nash here with my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Tim Bennett. You can find us here every Wednesday from 1 to 2 and visit focusgroupradio.com to learn more about us and all our media, including our Tuesday podcast, Unbuttoned, which you can subscribe to and get on a weekly basis on Tuesdays. It's a, uh, do you want to call it a digest? It's 20 minutes. You know, this whole thing about time, like, you know, our main show is one thing. The it's commutable. A lot of people like it because they, they take it on their commute. Although I do, I have gotten some feedback that we need to be a bit more controversial on there, maybe. Or more political. And, and to that point. we're not very political here. To that sometimes. point, when I opened the show with that line about Tennessee, which is an article we're going to talk about with mothers and their kids, Tim just looked at me. He's like, happy pride, which, happy hey, pride. second week of June. Happy pride. The pride leprechaun is out. Leprechaun. I'm not going to say leprechaun this year. Where did I ever get leprechaun from? We were know. talking about that you earlier. Know, you and I went to the same school district, but we were in separate towns. Maybe right. they somehow allowed you to slide on leprechaun. I didn't get Well, that. Middlebury was more high, high end. We got the farm. <laughs> <laughs> we had the farms. You had the executives that worked in Waterbury or Hartford. Or at, or at Timex. Yeah. <laughs> we were more we had all the high-powered Timex folks at our town. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I make watches. I make watches. I milk the cats. battery that goes into watches. How come we never got internships at Timex or jobs you know, there? I tried to get a job at Timex. Did you really? Yeah, they didn't. Uh, I don't think they did summer hiring as I recall, but it was close to the house. I could have, I could have yeah. easily gotten there. Reminds me, we used to try to get Arthur Miller to come in and talk about his writing, but he wouldn't come into any of the any. He of the lived down schools. the road. He lived down the road. Wouldn't come into the schools. Hey, you know, you bring up a funny thing. You remember all your summer jobs, don't you? Yeah. Okay, so uh, me and Tim, as many of our listeners uh, may or may not know, we grew up in two separate towns, Middlebury and Southbury. They were so close together. And they're so small that they were regionalized at the high school level, right? So we, that's where we met. We would have had Woodbury had they not had an agricultural school. And that's where Triberry comes from. Woodbury, Middlebury, Southbury, Southbury right. Roxbury, Waterbury. And there was one summer where you worked, you were lucky. You got a union job at uh, Baskin, Baskin Robbins. Robbins at the ice cream factory. And uh, But it was a factory job. Oh, and yeah. I had a factory job, too, one summer. I, I made metal parts or something. And there would be a point where... I'd get home, I'd have to take these like oil soaked clothes off, shower. Little metal shavings on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crash. You'd call. I'd pick up the actual phone, remember, with a rotary. <laughs> Jim's on the line. I'll be over to pick you up. And then you and I would go out to the Dairy Queen. After a day of ice cream, you would go to the Dairy Queen. We would buy like some kind of little soft serve thing and just sit and actually say nothing for like a half hour because we were so tired. It's veg. <laughs> My job, I had to get up, I had to be there at. Six, I had to be there either 5 a.m. if I was in the freezer or 6 a.m. and making cans. And uh, when I think about it now, and I think about the people that had those jobs for ever 30, 40 years, and I would go crazy after a couple of days making cans yeah. all day. Yeah. You know, 
Which is probably the same with you with parts. Oh, I think I wrote two books while I was making machine parts. I don't remember what I wrote in my head, but <laughs> it was the same deal. You put the thing in, you close the thing, ing, 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 ing. it does something where it ground off one end and there's oil spitting out and then it goes into a box. And you knew how many you, like, as the box got full, one day the box gets full of these parts. I'm like, I can't believe I made all, like. Yeah. I did learn something interesting there when I load, and then I would load trucks in the evening sometimes if my shift changed. And that's where I learned all about racial profiling because, the, you know. In a these, very unusual way. Well, these huge trailer trucks would be loaded, these 18-wheelers, freezer trucks loaded with ice cream. And three, four, five, sixteen hundred tubs, whatever the number was that these trucks were going out with. And you could count and inevitably you'd be short four or five tubs because you're pulling ice cream out of the freezers and the forklifts and the whole deal and lots of lots of moving parts. And then if you were short four, five, ten tubs, they would ask you where the truck was going. And I never quite understood why. So vanilla forever is the most popular color of, so if you're uh, four short. of ice cream ever. So I'd say, we're four short. Where's that truck going? I'd say, well, it's going to Queens. Put on Spumoni. The Italians love that stuff. <laughs> this is at the Queens. Baskin yeah. Robbins. The Baskin Robbins. Put so on Spumoni. Spumoni. Because they'll take, they knew that the, if the store didn't get chocolate chip, they'll take a Spumoni. Or if it was going to Harlem, it was butter pecan. Butter pecan. Put her in butter pecan. Or um, if it was just going to some, you know, suburban, put on vanilla. <laughs> you know? But they, they, would, they would identify flavors that they knew that certain markets or certain areas would go for. And um, when I think about it now, you know, they were smart, right? I mean, they knew that they had to fulfill the order. They weren't going to recount a thousand tubs and find out which one was missing. <laughs> so you, you'd make it up with, with some extra. I have uh, stories that I can't repeat. You can't repeat a lot of them. Um, from Marshall's brand names for less. I worked with a German woman named Elfrida. And one day we were hanging shorts. I'll leave it at that. And as the rack is rolling out to the men's department, she says, you know, who's going to buy these? And she goes, and she goes point, point, point. She nails everybody who's going to buy those shorts. Yeah, she, knows she knew where she's going to put them. She's and, and guess what? Them. She knew her department. I started at Marshall's in shoes, which was not my favorite department. Then I went to men's and then I made it to the vaunted service desk and cashier. But I didn't last long because you know the story. Yeah. One woman came in with these shoes that looked like she'd been, she wore them around the world. And she goes, I bought these last week and I need to return these. I'm like, you did not buy these last week. You, you, th these have been worn. I said, where'd you go around the world in 80 days? I think you told her she got stuck in her sewer grate. <laughs> Her heel. I remember you saying that, and you got taken right off the line. <laughs> Where's your manager? Ellie Barabas comes up, and she says, what's the problem here? And, of course, we'll exchange these. I'm like, of course. <laughs> then after the customer leaves, Miss Barabas is like, Miss, it was Miss Barabas. She's like, what do you think you're doing? She said, the customer is always right. I'm like, Miss Barabas. Yeah. You, you know. And then she kind of smiles. She goes, I don't want you on service desk for a while. She goes, you're going to be able to register again. You know, but all, all companies, and, and we learned a lot from people we worked for. I, even at Subaru, there, were, there was a time where the cars did not sell very well. And there, was a, there were 40, I remember this, 40 purple Imprezas. Who the hell wanted a purple car, let alone an Impreza, right? So I don't remember them ever using that color in anything. So my Unless, That's a one time. Well, my territory, no, they used it a lot. It was called Amethyst. <laughs> Oh, like a geode. Right. Okay, okay. So I, my territory was Minnesota, and I made a deal with a dealer to take them all and put a gold pinstripe on it, and they were Minnesota Viking cars because the Vikings were hot. Purple and gold. So, so like hotcakes. 
Oh, you're see that's. But see, otherwise, you were stuck with these things. You just, what you they used to, would, they what would was the nickname that you areas. gave cars that didn't move off? Sled. Sleds. <laughs> Why was it called a sled? It didn't move. It's a just sled. sat. Just sat. Sled. Never okay. moved. <laughs> just got to move it to make sure the tires don't go flat after a year. <laughs> You serious? Yeah. A lot of those SVXs and stuff they had. I mean, they were full of. They called it environmental damage, but it was really bird shit, seagull poop from the from the port because they sat for so long and the birds pooped on them and then it baked into the paint and they couldn't get them, couldn't get Ooh. them polished. So they called it environmental damage. The bird poo is like acidic or something. Well, they went. So these cars went from thirty-five thousand to twenty, but he was full of you know. Bird stains. Hey, look, my old business partner Greg would kill for an SVX. Right now, I mean, it's a cult car because it had that window. Window within a window. The window within the window is this little Scajaro. Yeah. You could drive it with the windows <laughs> down in the rain. <laughs> uh, lightly went over the cabin. All right. So, uh, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. This is a simple one. This popped up on Facebook, and I I, I didn't know quite what it was at first, and then I read was the it headline. Fake news. No, it's not fake news. It's but news there, news. We, we do have fake news coming up, I'm sure. So uh, the headline was, Chess Piece Bought for $6 in, in 1964 is now valued at up to $1.3 million. A chess piece. Chess piece. So okay. there was a, an ivory chess piece that the Scottish antiques dealer bought in the 60s. And he he took it and he bought it and didn't pay much attention to it. If you're watching on our on our video feed, you'll see a picture of it. And uh, he threw it in his desk and kind of forgot about it. And then he... He just liked it like an object, right? Right. And when he... So he, he bought this and it's dubbed a, um, a Lewis Warder, W-A-R-D-E-R. It's believed to be among the Lewis chessmen found on the Isle of Lewis in Scotland in 1831. The pieces are believed to have been carved in Trotham, Norway in the late 12th or early 13th century before they made their way to Scotland. There were a total of 93 pieces discovered in 1931, he had passed the piece on to his daughter, didn't pay much attention. She again threw it in her desk. Or... <laughs> amazing that they, that neither, like she, the daughter. Right. Amazing she didn't just in a purge and, get rid of it. Well, you think, right? But dad gave it to me, who knows? So it says, a fa until recently, a family member discovered uh, this piece, analyzed and looked at it, and thought, this to me looks like antique walrus tusk. And um, and so they did check it, and Sotheby's looked at it, and now it's up for auction. July second, they expect it to uh, to sell for upwards of one point three million dollars when it goes to auction. You got to start looking in your desk, John. Hey, every tag sale, every time I go buy something that looks old, I think I'm going to buy that print and rip it off, and there's going to be a Declaration of Independence <laughs> or a Constitution. Hey, uh, just as a reminder, we have Stephen Garrett in the booth, and I think we have Dante. The, what a great name, right? I'm John, like boring. <laughs> Dante and then the peace symbol. Guys, do you have things laying around that you think are worth something? I mean, I know I don't, but I got a lot of baseball cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah trading are, cards. Those are very valuable. Well, you know they don't last. Well, I'm just holding on to them because they're going to be worth a few million someday. You think? <laughs> I think they're kind of like Hummels, aren't they? <laughs> baseball cards. No, no, there are some baseball cards that are worth a fortune. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Garrett, the ones I got, I got some uh, old printer cables. <laughs> you, know, you know what? A hard drive that won't connect any laptops anymore. <laughs> I have that saved. Garrett, you and I could pool ours together. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple old things like that, two old keyboards. You guys could have a Mac hey, SE. By the way, you know that Mac that looked like the space age bubbly thing? That thing's worth worth a fortune now. 
the, 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 the original very, iMac? The yeah. iMac, really? Yeah, the, the one jelly, that they called the Jelly Bean. The one that was like round, and then it came. And with it had a, a different. Thin, yeah, I saw that online. That thing's worth a fortune now, like thousands, if it works. Did you hear that? Did anybody see that? No. I'm looking it up now. Do you know, know which one I'm talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all the different yes, colors. Yes, they call it the Jelly Bean. The jelly Bean. Yeah. Each one had, it was purple, turquoise, orange, something else. Oh, no, no, no. It's before that. Oh, you mean the um, the one that's like this is kind of mean the little rod. dome and the yeah. chrome arm the chrome and, arm the, and then oh, the that's an iMac from like nineteen ninety nine or ninety eight eighteen ten. It might be OS point one or whatever it is. I heard. I was shocked when I heard, and I think I might have that in my in my basement. Well, here's the key. Can it even go bong? Can it boot up? Does it? Well, why like, can't it? I didn't do anything to it. Oh, you might it. not be able to do anything. But finding the operating system to run it is like, you know, next to impossible. Eric, did you find one on the line? I, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is the one you're talking about, but like. Mm. No, no, that's the, those are the that's the one that came after the one he's talking yeah, about. Yes, it's, it's it's it would be it would be 2000 maybe 2001. Oh, 99 or 2000. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I, I read something about that, and I looked, and I laughed. So you don't think I can work this? I think that yours... So what would somebody want them for? Well, some... Constantly update them? A lot of people have the older PCs and Macs to run old programs, games, and whatever. Um, I looked at a Mac recently that was on display, and it was a Mac SE or something. It was like this little tiny black and white screen in a little box... And I remember the day I first got one of those and designed a magazine on the damn thing. I mean, it's a screen this big. Yeah, I still, well, anyway. What caught your eye? Well, it, mine could not be any different, frankly. And it makes me want to not go to this part of the world. But the headline reads, India's monkeys killing, keep killing people, so scientists are trying radical new sterilization strategies. But what do you mean killing people? They're uh, Macau, uh, M-A-C-A-Q-U-E-S, Macaus, Macaus, that's the name of the, is that how you pronounce that, Garrett? I thought it was macaque. Macaque. You know, you're right. They're monkeys. I think it is macaque. Yeah, no, you see, and by the way, did you notice how I went right to Garrett for like pronunciation and see, he's taking over the show. It's like. <laughs> he should because he knows what's going on, but if it was me, I'd said monkey. <laughs> Macaque. Macaque. One evening last November, a young woman was feeding her infant son inside their house in a small town on the outskirts of Agra, India. Uh, suddenly, a monkey broke into the house, snatched the baby boy from her arms, and made away with him. Neighbors chased the unexpected kidnapper with stones, but to their horror, the baby was soon found lying blood-soaked on a nearby terrace. Despite being rushed to the hospital... Uh, the little boy who was just 12 days old did not survive. Perhaps this sounds like a freak tragedy, a rare case of a wild animal behavior outside its natural order, but truthfully, there was nothing especially rare about this incident. Now, that's what caught my eye, was that nothing rare about this incident. Less than a month before, in a nearby town, a 72-year-old man was stoned to death as he was scavenging for dry wood when a troop of monkeys on the surrounding treetops rained bricks down on him after picking them up from a nearby construction area. Like, so this is like group effort. Get the guy, right? Um, in one strange incident, a monkey was spotted playfully showering fistfuls of cash onto passing strangers from a treetop in another town after picking up cash from someone's house, about 140 bucks U.S., other incidents of hostile simians turning on humans may have been reported across Tam Tamil Nadu and uh, Odisha. This is across India. Across India. 
across <laughs> India. Um, so there's all, the, the only reason they really have for this is that this type of monkey, the macaque, as is that how Garrett said, um, they are they live in troops. And what they mean by a troop is like a pack. And when you break up the pack, mothers and kids get separated. Or And it's all because of deforestation, encroachment of human beings. They're excellent scavengers, but when you break up their little hierarchy, they end up becoming, they, they seek. Hoodlums. Well, they end up becoming like aggressive and uh, and not not generally nice little monkeys. India's India's solution for this is they're telling their citizens don't not don't show your teeth or make eye contact. I have a lot of I have a lot to say, but I'll... you're going to hold off it because I do too. Imagine the government saying after you've been stoned to death by the monkey by the monkeys, or the cash is raining down, or your baby's been stolen. The dingo stole my baby. The dingo stole my baby. Imagine someone saying don't show your teeth or make eye contact. Don't make loud noises to scare them away. And keep your trash bins and water tanks covered at all times. Okay. But what if they still come? <laughs> Knock on your door. Ding dong. It's like, it's like land shark. Right. Ding dong. Land shark. monkey. When I went to Africa, I was afraid because the monkeys were aggressive. And, you know, they, remember, there used, smart. remember there used to be the Visa commercial where the monkeys steal the credit cards and they throw a party? That's not far off. So <laughs> That's when, not far off. Know, when okay. we were in Africa, they said, do not leave any luggage or anything. And one of the um, monkeys took one of the guy's backpacks. And the, the guards all had to chase it down. Fortunately, the monkey left it, but it had his passport, his camera, everything in it. And the monkeys ran up. They grabbed the backpack and off they went. And... Um, I, it, they're aggressive. And they said they're particularly not afraid of white people because they look like, oh, look at the monkeys. But they know the guards and the, the Africans there, they know that they're, they mean business. So they won't pull any, they won't pull so any like stuff. like a typical they, tourist. They recognize the tourists and they know they can get away with it. And uh, I, I was scared with the monkeys. I was afraid at night to walk to, back to the room, the hotel. Monkeys are in the trees. <laughs> Wait, I have this image of Tim being stalked by monkeys on the petrified. way back to your hotel. I would not go, would not go back to Africa again. I could if you see them. I could. A banana gets tossed in your path. <laughs> Boas. You know, we couldn't. We couldn't check in in the airport because there was a 13-foot boa constrictor in there. And the and the, and the, in the terminal. Yeah, they had to do everything outside because they couldn't get the snake out. Not my way to live. <laughs> Ah, that, you know, that Africa trip reigns Let supreme. the Chinese have it. <laughs> that reigns supreme as one of your all-time experiences, I tell you. Stories, I never heard the monkey story no, until today. Listen. And you went on that trip like 15 years ago. What a great adventure, Exit 6. You see everything you need to see. 45 minutes. There's a buffalo, there's a tiger, there's the elephant, there's a giraffe, there's a, giraffe, there's there's a, a monkey. Have, your, have yourself a, some fried dough and head home. Exit through the gift shop, please. <laughs> what are you Their business birthday today. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. I tried to find somebody more exciting, but the, 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 the June 12th was tough for birthdays. So that means that whoever you're doing today was conceived after the new year. Oh, no, wait, I'm wrong. Right before, before it was like yeah, Thanksgiving. Nine, go back nine months, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, oh, no, Halloween. Six, seven, maybe? eight, nine. Yeah, that's a kind of a dry spell, maybe. Cools out. Yeah, I don't know. So, anyway, David Rockefeller was born this day, June 12th, 1950. He's not a nobody. Not a nobody, but he died March 20th at 101 years old. He was an American banker, chairman, and chief executive of Chase Manhattan Corps. And uh, he was born in New York City. He grew up in an eight story house at 10 West 54th Street. 
which to this day is still the tallest private residence ever built in the city. How, Do you know where that it's is? Ten, I, the minute you said 10 West 54th. 10 West 54th. So you know that, you know, Fifth Avenue is the dividing line, and the lower the number, if it's west or east, that means it's close to Fifth Avenue. So it must be somewhere right between 5th and 6th, yeah. And uh, he joined the staff of uh, Chase Manhattan Bank in 1946. Of course, it didn't hurt that his uncle, Winthrop Aldrich, was the chairman at the time. He uh, started as assistant manager and worked his, worked his way up to chief executive officer from 1969 to 1980. And in 1980, he was the single largest individual shareholder of the bank. He only had 1.7% of the shares. But, only. But, <laughs> That's enough, right? But, but he was the largest. In 1979, he uh, was embroiled in an international incident when he and Henry Kissinger persuaded, I didn't realize this, Jimmy Carter through the State Department to admit the Shah of Iran into the United States, which actually triggered the hostage crisis. That's what they're saying. By having the Shah come. Well, because I do. We let the Shah come in. Remember, he had, he had needed treatment for lung, yeah, I lung, do remember lung that cancer, now. and they said that precipitated the hostage crisis and our and our Iranian uh, Iranian issues that we still are living with to this day. In 1968, he declined an offer from his brother Nelson Rockefeller, then governor of New York, to appoint him to Robert F. Kennedy's seat after Kennedy was assassinated. In 68, he was also offered a spot in Jimmy Carter's cabinet as Secretary of the Treasury, but he declined that as well. Then in 1980, he got in trouble for mortgaging the sale of Rockefeller Center to the Japanese. I remember that, too. The action was criticized for sur surrendering a major U.S. landmark to foreign interests. In 2005, he gave $100 million to the Museum of Modern Art and $100 million to Rockefeller University. I did not know of Rockefeller University. Where's that at? It's in New York. And they do a lot of um, medical research and science. Um, Here in the city? Yeah, it's in the city. And, and it's all funded with Rockefeller money. It, probably one of the most f well-funded universities or colleges in the, in the world. Uh, he gave $110 million to Harvard and $5 million to Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> the past is still present in Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> His uh, total charitable givings while he was alive was $900 million. When he died, he was worth $3.3 He died of congestive heart failure at his place upstate in New York. Pantaconic, Panta, something like that, in Hudson, Hudson Valley. I am surprised you even tried. I'm, you just should have glossed over and said upstate. I should have, but I wanted to try like you. <laughs> died at 101, and uh, his, his collection of artwork that he did have at home uh, was worth hundreds of millions. It was auctioned off in the spring of 2018. So happy birthday, David Rockefeller. Not bad, not bad. I don't know. I, the, the Scion of the Rockefeller family. I mean, there's a bunch of brothers, right? Yeah. I didn't go in all that. It was kind of boring, I thought. I just thought it was a boring birthday. Is Another financier. Right? Another financier. 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 Financier is how you say. Hey, uh, many of you know that... Uh, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. Go to our page, focusgroupradio.com. Click on the Deep Discount logo, which is a shark. Arr! And I have no idea why I do a pirate when it's a shark, but that's the way it goes, folks. <laughs> Deep Discount says, own your passion. It's our new tagline, and I couldn't be more on board with that one if I, I had to be, because I am a movie and TV nut. nut job. Yeah, and I do like getting the media because let's not forget something. If you're getting something off iTunes or whatever and you rent it or you own it, it's yours until it leaves the platform and then it's not yours anymore. So just buy the, the physical media. It's actually cheaper than going to a movie. 
So, um, summer-wide site sale. Site-wide summer sale. <laughs> site-wide summer sale, which means everything's on sale, which means we get to go crazy. I love what you picked. So, tell us what you picked this week. So, for me, I decided since it's June, top of the pride, John. Top of the pride to you. And I think it's a great time to replenish or refresh your LGBTQ film collections. So, I, I picked out a, uh, a um, LGBT-themed uh, movie. And if you're like me, you loan out a lot of DVDs or discs. And you never get them back. You never back. get them back. So, them back. so the, the site-wide summer sale is a great time. And uh, Deep Discount's there to help help us out to replenish or refurbish or refine maybe your, your collection. Um, well, I think replenish if you're not getting it back. Replenish, right? <laughs> refresh, refresh, whatever. Go buy stuff. Deep Discount will help you. I picked Plink, Plink, Pink Flamingos. 25th anniversary edition, a John Waters film. It was released uh, in six. It was released in June of 2017 for the 25th anniversary edition. Originally aired in 1972, stars Divine and uh, Mink Stoll, obviously directed by John Waters. And uh, you can get it for DVD for 12.69, which is almost a 30% savings. And uh, I, I, I can't do better than what they say here. John Waters breaks every rule of good filmmaking and good taste with this 1972 landmark cult classic, Pink Flamingos. And uh, it really is a, um, I think, a cult classic. And the unforgettable scene at the end is just disgusting and filthy. And you got to get it. <laughs> Were you, did, all right, let me, let me sidebar here for a second. Were you, did you have to be introduced to John Waters so I, I'll just say this. I had a friend who had a friend in Washington, D.C., and we went down to visit one weekend, and we did nothing but watch John Waters' movies. And I had not seen any female trouble, all of them, right? Well, the first one, I was like, what are we watching? I mean, you know, it was one of those things, but by the time... Some of the later ones, I was like, oh, you're my in God. It. Yeah, you then you're in on, on the yeah. stick. I mean, it's almost, like, introduced to it it's by almost like a National Enquirer that you you got to get into. I was introduced by, of all people, when we were in high school, Cheryl Lorenzo and Heather Gilpin. Cheryl and Heather? We went to high school together. Cheryl and Heather? Called me up John one, Waters? Called me up one Saturday and asked if I could drive them to the movies to go see a John Waters film, Polyester. Oh, yeah. And it had Odorama. Remember yeah, the Scratch, the scratch and Sniff, sniff card, yeah. So we, but we were concerned because it was for eight audiences, 18 or over or 16 or over. And one of, one of them was underage and we were scared. So we got dressed up thinking that would, oh, they must be older. The thrift store bought something. got really nice, really nice clothes to go to the the theater. To go to polyester, which is is ironic. We were really afraid when we bought the tickets that they wouldn't let us in because they would cart us. But we, we ended up, we ended up going there and watching it. And I just, polyester, I was like, oof. Your entry point for Waters was, was sort of a high mark or high bar, not a yeah, bad one. Yeah. So what would you pick? Well, I picked something that reminds me of Summer and the 430 movie. Oh, Grease? <laughs> and it's a movie that I... <laughs> the 430 movie. <laughs> Mr. Nasty Pants. <laughs> Classic uh, George Pal science fiction miniature models, the world's getting destroyed movie called When Worlds Collide on DVD. I think it's like six seventy nine or something. It's a classic of science fiction. It, in fact, a lot of other filmmakers picked up on a lot of what George Pal was doing. But just to show you some of the cheesy, well, they weren't cheesy when I was a kid. I would, I would. I would, I love this stuff. So Garrett, I think we have, or, or Steve, sorry, we have a clip. Let me just set this up. 
there's a star named Bellus, and it's orbiting a planet, Zyra, and then they're both heading towards Earth, and they're going to collide with Earth. How improbable is this, right? But hey, it's a movie. And they build a spaceship, like an ark. It's a space ark. Everybody's going to go on the ark. They're going to launch. When the worlds collide, they'll land on Earth. At land, the, after the worlds collide, they'll land on a new planet, which was snow covered. So let's see Isn't if we get. Is that the Scientology model? <laughs> yeah, really. Amazing, awe inspiring scenes ever oh, watched. Watch, watch the, the flooding there. <laughs> the little miniature house gets taken away. Tidal waves smashing New York City. <laughs> the molten fires from the bowels of the Earth gushing out to consume our world. This may not happen for a million years. It will. But now, you'll see what could happen when worlds collide. You know, hey, I was sucked in. So that's what I picked. You love, you love this stuff. When did that Oh, my sister out? and I. Oh, this was, uh, looks like it was, it was uh, the 50s or something. 1951. 51. <laughs> there is original date. 51. This was on my younger sister and I. We were transfixed because there's really? some guy in a wheelchair who's nasty. He's a millionaire. He builds that rocket. He wants to get on and then they push him off at the end because he's in a wheel. <laughs> anyway, what's the, uh, <laughs> Yeah. The new release this the week. New release this week is Captain Marvel on Blu-ray, and uh, I have not seen this. Did you see Captain Marvel? I thought you saw some of these, didn't you? Or you no, didn't and this and this one was interesting because Captain Marvel is been cast as a woman. Okay. And uh, it got good reviews, but a lot of these a lot of these Marvel movies, like this, is all part of the universe that I have not seen, but I I, I think I'd like to see it. Cool. So head on over to uh, focusgroupradio.com. Click on the dip dis deep. <laughs> what am I, I'm tongue-tied today. <laughs> you are, yeah. The deep discount logo and start shopping away for the summer-wide site sale. Summer, did I say it right? Summer site. Site-wide site summer, summer sale. Site-wide summer sale. Are you ready That's for the summer? And uh, own your passion. John picked When Worlds Collide. I picked Pink Flamingos. And the release this week is Captain Marvel. Right, Garrett? Thanks, Deep Discount. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some shop talk to handle. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Focus on the savvy side of 9 to 5 with The Focus Group. Try, really try. Listen, laugh, and learn with Tim and John. I never try anything. I just do it. Welcome back to the Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is our website, and you'll find everything you need to know at that destination. So at the top of the show, I teased kind of in a negative way, I suppose, because we had the words hate-filled <laughs> in there. Uh, an interesting article that I came across about a group of Tennessee mothers who meet on a regular basis to discuss how they're raising their LGBT kids in a state that they say is set to legalize hate. So to set this up, um, in a town near the Tennessee-Kentucky state line, need I say more, <laughs> they have all had to navigate or are navigating raising LGBT children in a state where in recent months Republican lawmakers introduced six anti-LGBT bills dubbed by the campaigning group Tennessee Equality Project as a slate of hate. It's an interesting article because, um, for, one, for one thing, it's it's 2019, and I, I say that because I would never have read this back in 
99, 2000, maybe. The fact that these mothers have kids that have come out at a very early age, high school or, or, um, yeah. or college, they're all supportive, and they all live in states where it's really not going to be tough on their kids. Tough, and yeah. I, I give these moms an awful lot of credit and uh, all the kudos in the world for navigating this sort of thing. Because if you are in a state, which um, we of, we've often said we're two different countries sometimes, and uh, if you are in a state that is promoting this sort of nonsense, um, what do you do? And so to have support groups or to have help from the outside is certainly certainly welcome. What, what I find troubling about all this and, and where you had said you would not hear about this before all of this discrimination is all being based upon religion so these it's all in the in the name of religious freedom and this is my religious right i don't have to serve you i don't have to allow you i don't have to let you because of my religious beliefs which has nothing to do with equal rights in this country right because we're we're allowed freedom of religion last time i checked we're not a theocracy but that's how all, all of these all of these bills are all masked under this religious freedom. Um, this goes to what colonists have been talking about for a long time. The, the freedom to to worship and the freedom to pursue your religious these are all enshrined in the Constitution yeah. and the Bill of Rights. In fact, I think when you look at the aspects of the Constitution that guarantee this, I'm not sure we need all this. Well, I'm sure we don't, frankly, but. You know, and you and I have said many times, if you're a baker, let's say you're a wedding cake baker in Kentucky and a gay couple comes in, male or female, and they want to have a wedding. Why, why even bother going through the hassle of making them feel uncomfortable, A, because no, that may not, I don't believe that's your religious duty to, to offend somebody. Just say, you know what, oh, they- We're busy. We are so booked, but down the street, there's a great baker and they do a wonderful carrot cake, whatever. The, I've always used that example. You know, isn't that easier than making a, you know, making someone feel like they're, and that's the problem, right? Or one of the problems. Yeah, well, they said there's been since 2017 uh, to 2018 over 75 bills that have been brought forward in the U.S. that are modeled after um, these other religious religious exemption bills or whatever. And they, they, they go into a... A, uh, a story about adoption. And this oh, yeah. one, this one I really kind of scratched my head at. So Tennessee, not unlike any other state, there's an abundance of kids that need to be fostered or adopted, and there's not enough people adopting them. Right. Yeah, Tennessee and Kentucky, which is on the border there, you know, they're part of this movement we're seeing across the country in five or six states of forcing women to take a baby to term if they're raped in the case of rape or incest. So now I'm going to force a woman to take a baby to term from a violent act and put these children also into a system that's yep. already broken. Overburdened. And now I'm going to also then say, and by the way, I'm not allowing Gay LGBT couples, people yeah. to adopt children. So, or foster them. Or foster them. So I, I just, it, it, I, I don't know. This goes back to our friend Michelangelo Signorelli. I think the LGBTQ leadership's a bit asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And we got marriage, and everybody's like, okay, we're done. But it, guess what? What is the name of Mike's book? It's not over. It's not over. Yeah. And this stuff is coming full force. And I don't know. I don't know. If it, I hope people are fighting it, Lambda Legal and other folks. But I don't know. Do you, do you, have you seen anything? I see a lot of this. I don't see a lot on our end. I think that there is a like, I think that the LGBTQ task force, I think HRC, I think a group of organ, uh, the uh, Lambda Legal, at the state and uh, local government level, they're trying to make a difference by either being the people that put up a lawsuit against this or try to stop um, these legislative acts from happening. 
But I think in the, the bigger thing is, is this even part of a conversation that people are having? I mean, if you're LGBT, um, are you even talking about this with your friends? Because a lot of people I know just think it's going to go away by itself. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to go away by itself. I think it's gotten worse in the last two years, actually. Yeah, no, it certainly has. And I, I, I feel for people that live in these places that, uh, you know, the bathroom bills. There's also an issue in here about the transgender and use of bathrooms they want to institute in Tennessee. Who's having all this sex in bathrooms that they're concerned about who's in the bathroom? You and I talk about this all the time. You want to go to the bathroom and get out. I, it's not a, it's not. If a woman or a transgender person is next to me in the stall, How would you I don't know? care. Unless you open the door, like, come on, you know. It's you like, know, I, it, I don't, I don't. Uh. If our bathrooms were like Europe, I remember the first time I was in Holland and I went to this bathroom in Amsterdam and it was basically like unisex because it yeah. was four or five. Stalls. And the doors were floor to ceiling. Right. It was like being in a private room. It was like, Which oh. I love. We don't do you, that here. And you meet at the sink to wash your hands. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will say I use the, I guess it's, what would it be? The, the, um non-gender conforming bathroom at the airports all the time now. Oh, they're clean. Fantastic. They're clean, they're open, no one's in them. <laughs> and uh, I could do a dance. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I was telling somebody else about it and they, they're like, you know, you're right. Because they've, they've added in Philadelphia, they've added the um, just non, you know, neutral bathrooms. I, if I'm not, I don't mis- know what the exact, I, I'm not mistaken. I may have mistaken it for the, um, the handicapped bathroom, but I thought at down at Christiana Mall, there was a, oh, yeah, this one there. Yeah, and I, I remember using it thinking, they had one of the Dyson mm-hmm. air blades to dry. <laughs> the thing sparkled. It was like no one's been in this bathroom. So anyway, not to make light of this, but kudos to the mothers for yes. um, getting together to help their kids and guide them on the process. Because if those, if all their children decide to make their lives in Tennessee or Kentucky, which is perfectly reasonable, right? They're going to have a hard time of it. They're getting together with other moms that are in similar situations with kids, whether they're transitioning or they're gay or lesbian or or being bullied and so forth. They did say that Amazon and uh, Lyft have both sent um, letters to the legislature to yeah. say that they're against it, as well as the, the football. And that was another thing that one of the mothers said. She said she calls her representative on a regular basis and basically brings up you cannot vote for the, the, this is how I feel about these bills. I don't want you voting for them. So I thought that was, I mean, you know, how often do we call our reps, right? Listen, big elections are coming up in lots of places, lots of small towns for dog catcher and everything else. Go vote. Go vote. It's important to vote. All right. This next piece is a quick one. We're going to go through it pretty quickly because this was written by, this is an opinion piece, by the way. I should have put opinion in here. The, I laughed. These 16 money wasters are why so many Americans can't save for retirement. Um, so this guy from the lofty perch of old age and after a lifetime of thrift, this gentleman declared that he is qualified to comment on how not to waste money. And he, he created a list. So he's 75 years old. He created a list of 16 things to consider as money wasters. Some of them are not, in my opinion, money wasters, but we'll go through them. First on the list is tattoos. Yeah, I saw that. I was, I don't, I thought, well, if and he says, they're an admitted obsession of mine. What will they look like when you're my age? 75. From what I've heard, a good tattoo artist charges $200 an hour. So basically, he's thinking not of the moment of, I'm going to get a tattoo to remember this experience, but he's thinking, what are you going to look like when you're 80? Right, or that you I don't think people think like that. No. The second one was vacations. He said, although everybody needs a break, your kids will survive if they don't visit the Magic Kingdom. 
Uh, you know, so uh, yeah. the Magic Kingdom could be fun. You I know. think for a lot of hardworking people that only get two weeks off a year, and if they save all year to go to Disney or to go to Great Adventure or to go to the the place at the beach or the mountains, why not? But no, I. I but he says vacations. Yeah, this next one I happen to agree with. College. Picking a college involves many factors. Affordability is one that's often overlooked. If the cost of the school you choose will land you in debt, you'd better have a plan for paying it off. Uh, it's another aspirational purchase, right? Yeah, it was, Sometimes parents want their kids to go to an uh, Ivy League school. Cocktail or, talk. Yeah. Right, cocktail talk. So the um, the fourth one we've talked about before, designer yeah. coffee. He used $4, but a lot of times it's $6. basically, right? But he said, skip the $4 coffee, and after 30 years, you'll have $121,000, assuming a half percent return, monthly return. Yeah, I, I, I was, couldn't believe that. Well, you know, if you drink coffee every compound, day, compound, yeah, compound, compound, yeah. compound, yeah. So that that's a lot of money. This one is this one's less of a. This is just he's he calls it opportunities lost. That's people who work in companies who have four hundred one k plans or Roth IRA, and they're just not contributing maximum amounts of money, which could be matched by their employers. I again go back to at the end of the day, after the taxes are taken out of your paycheck, what do you need to put food on the table and pay your bills? Right. You may not be saving enough because you might have to, you know, spend it elsewhere. But pay attention to that, I suppose. Right. Num number six was um, you don't need to spend a lot of money on vehicles. Some people that buy vanity, vanity uh, transportation, the forty thousand plus range, just to get from A to B. He said, well, you know, my kids grew up in a duster, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, some people want to... i tell you something. I had a dad who bought used cars all the time. I used to spend hours in the garage helping fix him them. fix the car. And I remember one day my mom takes me aside and she says, when you're older, buy new. <laughs> Am I right? So now we lease. And well, that is so much like your dad, right? He'd buy this car oh, and then you spend hours, hours and money it. and time. To... And I remember just... I remember my, I thought, you know what? This is a waste of time. This is a waste of time. And now if I have a car longer than three or four years, that's strange. But you, when you lease, you just, goodbye. So, acknowledge the fact that we're a car culture and we need to drive around. I always have a vision of that in tax day at the Nash House. Oh, <laughs> did you ever come visit on tax day? Did I tell you about it? Yes. Dad, you, you couldn't walk in the house because every flat surface had paper on it, including the floors. And it was all... Yeah. Well, let's. Hey, I'm getting angry now. We're not going to go down memory lane anymore on this one. <laughs> what was number seven? Credit cards. I I'm a firm believer in this. This is smart. This is a very smart thing. Never charge your groceries on a credit card, and if you do, because these are consumables. If you if you charge a quarter milk and you're still paying for that quarter milk three months later, then that was not a smart thing. Yep. Try to pay these things off. And if you don't, make sure that you're planning to pay it off in a two or three month thing. In other words, use credit wisely. It's it's not a bad thing to have, but use it wisely. And this was also predicated on, they said a lot of Americans don't have $400 in an emergency fund if something True. happened. And so he, he mentions lottery. He said it, it tends to be the lowest income groups that invest or that buy lottery tickets. But... Um, you know, they're just, you're not going to win the 500 million or 300 million probably. But they did say 60% of millennials think winning the lottery is part of a wise retirement <laughs> God bless the millennials. If you're going to win, right? Uh, clothing, I'm a big fan. This, oh, yeah, that's So you. this is my ballywick here. He says, you know, the average adult spends $161 a month on clothing. We are obsessed with keeping up with the latest fashions and ensuring nobody sees us in the same clothes twice. I don't know if I agree with that reasoning. 
but I do know that sometimes we don't like seeing ourselves in the same thing over and yeah. over. But I'm a big fan of being really cautious about clothing. How much do you really need, right? Well, you're, you're good at that. Matt's good at that, too. Number 10 was shoes. They said yep. the average woman owns more than... Are the yeah the average American woman owns more than twenty five pairs of shoes. That's a women's thing. Um, I don't have that many pairs, but a, a good pair of shoes, a good pair of boots are are worth the investment. Yep. It's your feet. Yep. <laughs> this next one is tchotchkes and stuff. Clean out your house after a couple of years, and what do you find? A lot of stuff laying around, and you wonder where you picked it up. Tchotchkes are like souvenir things. You're you're walking somewhere, you pick up a little gar like a little tiny thing that's three bucks. That's the something. China disease, right? All the home goods disease, all that stuff that was mm -hmm. made cheap in China, and you can hang it up, family, and hang up the pictures and all the all the pretty stuff. Number twelve, failing to look ahead, and. Um, these are people who have really not planned, and this is, you, yeah. you and I have talked about this a lot as well. You work 30 or 40 years and you hadn't really thought ahead or planned and think you're going to live on your Social Security uh, check, and then you find out you can't, and then, then, it, then it's an issue. Well, and that's a whole generational thing because back in the day, companies had pensions. Yep. So you had your pension, your Social Security, and if you worked and worked and worked, you got your pension and you're all set. But yeah. Failing to plan is a problem. Um, this one, uh, no backup plan. Um, this guy is obsessed with what if. What if I can't pay my mortgage? What if I can't pay my rent? Do I have a way of figuring this out? I think not having a backup plan is synonymous with someone who may not be looking ahead and, and who may not be able to afford a $400 emergency. So why have a backup plan if you can't right. afford a $400 emergency, right? Number 14 were holidays. People tend to overspend on the holidays. I did laugh at this. He said, my pet peeve are those inflatable characters on lawns that cost hundreds of dollars. Talk about blowing money. <laughs> but I think a lot of things with holidays, I think people tend to overspend on holidays and they get in debt, which is yeah. crazy. Uh, toys is number 15. One study shows that U.S. parents spend 6500 on toys during a child's upbringing. The spending is even higher for millennials who favor smart toys. Now, for you and I growing up, it was cheap. It was a chemistry yeah. set. It was now I Lincoln see logs. I see kids on the train coming home from school. They have smartphone. They have to have a laptop yep. at the house or something. Crazy. Not not expensive. Yeah, not cheap. And the last one is haircuts. And I laughed at this. I said the average haircut reportedly costs somewhere between twenty eight and twenty nine dollars, but you can go to get a twelve dollar local barber cut. Eh, I, I think a haircut, particularly. You want to look groomed or I tell you, you can cut it yourself. I, I, I miss the barber. I do my own hair because it's short enough now that I could just do a crew cut. But I miss the barbershop because that was like a little appointment for yourself, yep. right? You went, you talked to the barber. Usually you knew the barber, right? Yep. Hey, how you doing? Whatever. And uh, you knew some of the guys in the shop. So I do miss that. And I never begrudged the 10 or 15 bucks it was to get my hair cut, right? No. Nope. So that's, uh, I, I, but I thought of you in some of these, particularly with the clothes thing. Yeah, well, you know I'm obsessed with, yeah. Two shirts, if I buy two shirts, three leave my closet. <laughs> two in, three out. Two in, three out. Hey, thanks for joining us today, uh, Tim Bennett. On the uh, second on week the of. Second week of the Happy second Pride! Week. Pride Leprechaun has arrived. Thanks to uh, Garrett, thanks to Steve, thanks to Dante. Thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. Be sure to head over to focusgroupradio.com and click on the deep discount logo. We hope everybody has a good week. Remember to arrive alive. Don't text and drive. <laughs>
Folks, you know what I love about this? He invented the phrase, don't text and drive, arrive alive. Well, you know, we did have an argument one night. Garrett and I discussed, is it arrive alive, don't text and drive, or don't text and drive? Garrett, don't let him him do this. Look, he's going to push it in Garrett's direction. Oh, my God. (laughs) Goodbye. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.